0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Build Value by Choice podcast show. I am your host, Nana Barsu. And in this episode, I have with me Annika Penn. Uh, Annika and I are going to be talking about how you make your business attractive to a strategic growth investor. So if you want to make better business decisions and be better prepared for the future so your business can be more attractive to a long-term growth investor like Bailey Gifford, where uh, Annika works, At least tune in now. Now, in this episode, um, we are going to be discussing a little bit about how Annika and her team approach the the investment process. So I want to take a little bit of time to share with you her her bio. She's, uh, she's She's very passionate about connecting great ideas with capital and has the privilege of doing this daily at Bailey Gifford of particular interest. Uh, is, you know, that she has is helping women and minority entrepreneurs to gain access to capital, which is a big issue, and the resources that they need to thrive. She is the entrepreneur in residence at Smith College, where she has advised women-led startups on their business models and their pitches to investors. As the co-founder and CEO of Frontier Health, which is a marketplace for innovative frugal medical services for developing countries, she built the very first global marketplace linking medical device innovators with healthcare providers in the developing world. Her earlier work spanned the fields of HIV, AIDS, reproductive health, and civil rights policy. Before she founded Frontier Health, she worked at the apex of finance, regulation, and medical research for several years, and just witnessed firsthand the difficulties that small companies face bringing their healthcare solutions to market. So that's been a big influence on her thinking. Uh, she's honored to serve on the board of trustees of Johns Hopkins University and is also the president of the Johns Hopkins University Alumni Association, where she received her master's degree in international relations. I happen to also be a JHU alumni. So um, just a little bit of a disclosure. Um, we didn't know each other you know, back then, but she's... Uh, She's, uh, she's an alumni. Happy of, to uh, know each other
1: now.
0: Yeah, happy to know each other now. And then one thing that's also pretty cool about Annika is that uh, she, spent, um, she spent a little bit of time studying Mandarin at Nanjing University. So welcome to the show, Annika. Thanks. Awesome. And uh, just for the, for the sake of our audience, we want to make sure that we have a, a website, bid.ly forward slash evaluation. Uh, so so people can go and, and sign up and find out, uh, get a free assessment of how attractive their business is and how that links to what Annika is going to be sharing about today. Annika, um, so I always started this show you know, trying to get a little bit of background and context about how you got into um, investment and and just, I know you're thinking uh, what impacted or influence you're thinking about small businesses having a devil of a time having access to capital. So what got you into uh, on your journey to uh, to where you are today?
1: Yeah, I I, I didn't. Um, you know, if you had asked me when I started my career that or if you had said, you know, do you think you'll ever work in the financial sector? I would have said resounding no. Yeah. <laughs> it was never a, a goal of mine. I think I have always just wanted uh, to make things better. Uh, Make the world a better place and make um make the world sort of just and equitable for 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 as many people as possible. I started my career thinking I was going to be in civil rights law. I worked in Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, I then on civil rights policy, I then uh, switched to international public health policy. And I think there I really saw that um, you know we were working. Um, on HIV AIDS policy in countries that or in, in communities where there was very little access to water um, and, and poor governance. And I just, I wanted to learn about the underlying economic and political conditions that lead to poor public health outcomes throughout much of the world. And so I then went to school at, at Johns Hopkins, where I learned um, some of some of uh, those contributing factors, and then um, went to work in the U.S. healthcare industry, where um, where you know the the way that the U.S. delivers health, the way that healthcare is delivered in the U.S. is not necessarily replicable, and so if you want solutions um, that are replicable throughout the world. The that innovation is happening in a place where there's lots of sort of regulatory capture and lots of misalignment of incentives is perhaps not optimal. And so then I started Frontier Health with the idea that I would uh, build a marketplace where low cost solutions get get um, that innovators of low -cost cost solutions have a path to to the market um so it was it was really an, um a trickle up uh marketplace as opposed to sort of trickling down which is how medical device innovation happens um mm. throughout much of the world um but you know had trouble really capitalizing that business and and through that experience realized that you know access to capital is another lever you can pull when looking to um to make the world a more just and equitable place. Mm -hmm. And so then made the switch to the other side of the equity investment table and worked uh, and and now work at at Bailey Gifford. So that's sort of my path from going from Washington to New York via, you know, LA and China and some other, and Kenya.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there you go kenya all right that's awesome so yep. like it's so the how long
1: ha- way as opposed to taking the bus up the i-95
0: <laughs> yeah yeah i'll take an amtrak um yeah <laughs> so <laughs> life is never a straight line um so um how has that uh kind of helped and influenced you because you know different backgrounds you know people in the equity uh, management and investment business you know come from different backgrounds some of them maybe they started off in finance that was more of a straight line thing how does that give you a different kind of perspective given the your kind of legal policy and civil rights kind of background how does that uh, help you kind of because uh, especially the humanitarian side of it the empathy side of it uh, and also just being able to drill down into into policy and be able to maybe influence uh policy leaders about whatever uh, policy and legislation that he has sponsored how that impacts uh yeah, investments, you whether know, in so, healthcare or otherwise.
1: Yeah. So I, I'll say this. So in my position now, and really for the past 10 years, I haven't done anything with respect to to policy or influencing policy. Um, um what i will say uh, i that's where i started my career but i have it's it's taken a turn from there uh, what okay. i will say is that um i think a lot of where we see opportunities for 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 improvement um are related around misalignment mm-hmm. <laughs> misalignment of incentives um and uh the the profits that can come from from that and i think that um what i like about my current position is that um they're a very long-term investor they're Mm -hmm. they're a late stage investor so very um you know so these are companies that are not early stage they are they are you know one or two rounds from ipo um but they they stay the average holding time is is very long and so um that allows for a type of alignment across the clients across the company across the companies that that we invest in that helps me sort of be true to the values that i want to uphold and adhere to and you know sort of I don't want to say spread I'm not any sort of evangelist in any way but um so you know one of the companies that I I worked on you know one of the early stage investors says this is this is one of those few companies that is disruptive but it is good for the employees and good for the companies and good for the the customers that over the long term is a better outcome than something that's solely good for customers or solely good for, Mm -hmm. you know, one group. And I think um, if also when you stay with a company for a decade or more, you know, mm-hmm. you're really well aligned to their to what they're doing. And I think when people think about, you know, private equity is like a is a big term, right? There are all mm-hmm. types of it, it covers all manner of sin, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there are times when um, I've met companies and their view of private equity is that you're going to come in and extract value. Cut costs because you have a group of investors or because you have a group that you're trying to earn money for in the short term. If you're trying to earn money over the long term, it allows you to realign your values with the values of the folks that you're invested in. And so that's where I'd say my desire for equity and just um, outcomes aligns itself if I may just yeah. continue to overuse the phrase with the companies that we, that I get the privilege of of meeting and researching. Does okay.
0: that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it makes sense. I mean, it's just a matter of, you know, there's the values, there's alignment of values and goals um, and the nature or the profile of the companies that you tend to look for. And that helps you kind of uh, be congruent uh, with your point of view of, of the world and how the world is supposed to be and the mechanism and how by you which make
1: things better for everybody. Yeah,
0: exactly. Um, so you made a, you made a certain distinction um, which is important because you distinguish between startups and and late stage uh, disruptive growth companies and you are a different sort of uh, private equity kind of company. Um, and, uh, and, and and you don't necessarily do exits. You are there for, as a growth investor so uh, you know as opposed to like you know the financial bias or private equity companies that will buy a company and just kind of harvest the, the parts or you know improve it a little bit and just kind of sell it and and, and share jobs and whatnot you don't do that you just you you invest you know, in the company for a long period of time um what is the average length of time that you um you take to research a company and uh, the length of time that you hold the company in your portfolio.
1: Oh, that's really hard to say. So, um, and I, I happy to talk about, we sort of talked about this before. I'm happy to talk about sort of the larger view of things, mm-hmm. um, the larger and what advice I can give companies, but um But it's difficult for me to really put a number or to answer specific questions about my specific firm because we have many, many funds and they have different mandates and um, some of them are invested in public markets, some are invested in private markets. Um, I will say when we do talk to companies, we, we, and our reputation is that we are a very long term. So, so, you know, where I think the average holding time on wall street is two or three quarters mm-hmm. and, and we, it's like a decade or more,
0: Okay. but, okay. but
1: it, it varies, you know, right. wildly, um, depending on the specific mandate of a specific set of, uh, depending on who the clients are and what the
0: clients right. want. Yeah. And one but If you're of the... looking
1: for a quick out, mm-hmm. you know, the, the clients who are looking for that generally are not interested in in investing.
0: <laughs> right. Okay, got you. Got you. So, uh, cuz I mean, they have multiple exit options. One is to sell out, right? The other is uh, to go the IPO route. Uh, the other is to just to scale. Um, mm-hmm. and so it looks to me like, you know, you tend to focus on the scale inside of it and the IPO side of it, right? Are those two, two of the main uh, exit options? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, definitely. But, you know, we we work with all kinds of, you know, we we have, there are earlier stage investors that we have relationships with. And when I say relationships, I mean that they, you know, introduce us to, to companies. We could talk to them about companies. I think um like i said there if you are in you know private markets mm-hmm. you, there are all different kinds of investors and really from the perspective of a business owner it's really about again like alignment who what kind of relationship with an investor am i looking for mm-hmm. um and what do I want out of it? And what, 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 what does that look like? And then, you know, then there's somebody out there as my grandma would say, there's a Jack for every Jill. Um, and I do believe that in the, um, in, in private markets,
0: okay.
1: there are all different kinds of investors.
0: Yeah.
1: And for every stage
0: for every stage. Yeah. Um, now, Bailey's been around for like over 100 years, right? It's been around for a while. And and how are you guys spread out? Are you guys uh, primarily based in the US or do you have like, you know, footprints around the world or? No, uh,
1: for 114 years um, it, they have been they're based in Edinburgh, Scotland. Um, and for 114 years we're based uh, primarily there and focused on on mainly the public markets. So the private uh, market investing private companies invest, investing is relatively new for, for us.
0: Okay. And
1: um, they're you know they invest all over the world. Mm-hmm. But, but most of the investors are based in Edinburgh. I'm based in New York um, and we have some colleagues in in California. There's an office in China. But yeah, that's never where where folks has have been based have has never stopped anyone from investing outside
0: of that. Okay, okay. Now um, I want to kind of, from the perspective of uh, a business owner, you know who fits the profile that you look, you know, that you tend to um, invest in. What are some of the things? Because you know, we try to. Um, Advise business owners to look at their business in order for them to be able to know that they're making the right type of decisions uh, for the future. They need to be able to look at it from the perspective of a of an investor, such as you know uh, Bailey Gifford. Um, what are some of the things that you look for, so that the if a if a if a business owner is looking uh, as uh, Bill, if let's just say Bailey Gifford fits the criteria of of a company that. That you know, if I have a company X and I'm researching companies that could either acquire a company or could you know bring in capital infusion by way of investment for the long term if I'm looking to scale? What are some of the things that I should know that you guys prioritize or how you guys evaluate companies? Just so I make sure that my uh, decisions are strategically aligned so that when the time comes, I'm better prepared as opposed to the time comes and and there's just a lot of back and forth. And I feel like I wasn't treated fairly uh, because there's misalignment. There goes that word again. There's misalignment between what my expectations are for how much I should get from um, a percentage of my business versus what you're offering.
1: Generally, um, you want to see growth and
0: um, depending
1: on the stage of the company, customer acquisition you know how that that the customer acquisition has, has is getting cheaper and has evolved okay um i think um that's sort of those are contributors to top line but then you want to you know have conversations where you have you know you have your costs mm-hmm. but you want to see that widen right like you're <laughs> It's getting cheaper to operate and, and, and you're able to capture uh, more margin. But I think, you know, dep- but margin isn't, it, it depends. It depends on the investor. For some investors, they want to see immediate margins. You know, if you're a, if you're growth stage, late stage company, and you're taking a hit on margins in order to build customer loyalty or to, to, build something, you know, There's some investors who may be, um, who may be that, 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 that would, they would see that as a good thing. So I, th- I think again, like the, the key is you want to have a healthy business with strong financials. You mm-hmm. want to have good leadership in place and good governance. Okay. And then for the kind of business you are, the stage that you are, you want to have you, you, there are, there is probably a a private uh, investor or some way for you to move forward or on from your business. And I think it's about finding that Mm
0: -hmm. good
1: relationship. Um, And you never want to be in a position where you're, you know, sort of, desperate for that next step. And you have to take what you can get because it is a relationship. You're in a relationship with, with whoever is investing in your company. You want to make sure that's good. And so, you know, there, there may be times when you receive an offer and you, you, if you, someone, a founder just said to me, you know, I just got a spidey sense that that wasn't, that's not the term sheet that what they wanted wasn't going to be a good fit. And so, you know, that particular founder walked away. And I've been in that position as a founder myself, where I didn't have a great spidey sense around what an investor was offering me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I ended up taking that deal and regretting it.
0: I think there are a couple of drivers that you pointed to, uh, which was growth potential, um, obviously financial performance. Um, and management or leadership, so th- those are good, good, um, good drivers. Um, and I think the, the 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 thing that you know that you you mentioned about the spidey senses for founders is how do they improve their you know their their spidey senses? Because because it may just be mm. they may not have. Is it a wealth thing? Is it a skill thing? Is it some kind of a combination? Where does where does that um, you know come I, from?
1: You know, this is going to sound really silly. But, um and I make this metaphor a lot but it's sort of like dating <laughs> you know you're sitting across the table from someone yeah. and you just um or if you're just not comfortable with all of the mm. different uh stipulations that they've put on the money um that they're offering okay. um I think I think the time to to meet with folks in who may, be interested in investing is not when you are raising money. I think you net one, you never sort of like people say, you never stop looking for a job, right? You never stop doing informational. You never stop meeting people. It's the same thing when you have a business. So when you, you know, when you're not raising is a great time. Now you may be busy. You don't want to take up all of your time, but to build those relationships to have people ask you questions and you know hard questions that you you may you know that force you to sort of rethink things is is a, a, a good time to do that is when it's not urgent and okay. then the more conversations you have with folks in the in, in 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 you know the investment space the more you get a feel for what folks are going to be looking for the more you get a feel for what um, different types of investors what it would be like to work with them. Um, so that would be my advice.
0: What percentage of time, um, just again, it's, it's not no, again, and there's always going to be variation, but ballpark range, how much of a founder's time? Because we have some founders mm. that tend to get caught in day to day running of their business. But yeah. if if they need to cover time to be able to meet with investors and get a sense for what's going on in the market and, and what the market is looking for, um, what percentage of your of the time ideally would you recommend?
1: Yeah, it's a that's a good really good question. And it's always, you know, I tell founders, I, I know that you didn't start this business, so you can sit around talking to investors all day. I, but it is my, it's my job. And I, I love talking to founders and I could literally take up all of their time because what they're doing is so amazing. And they're usually such often really interesting people and there's something driving you. And I'm a former founder myself. So I always want to talk about people who are doing it and who have done it. Right. Um, Mm. But that's not, Why you found a business? (laughs) You you don't like, you know, meet with mortgage bankers because you want to talk to them. You meet with them because you want to live in a house that you
0: own. Right, right.
1: So um, that's I. This is a long way of saying I empathize, but I don't have a great answer. I think you know, if you're not actively searching for for funding? I mean, I think it's... Think of it as sort of professional development, Mm -hmm. right? If you're a founder, how much time do you put into sort of improving your own role as a founder, whether you're the CEO or whether you have some other C-suite role? Um, Maybe how much... If there's an aspect of your business that you're less familiar with, how much time would you put in outside of running the day-to-day and doing your job and to finding out about that? Because honestly, the working with investors and meeting them is one aspect of your business that you may not know much about. So I've, I've, I think I've succeeded in not answering your question again, but giving, (laughs) Giving your audience a, a different way of thinking so they can come to their answer on their own. That's, that's my goal.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's uh, that's the, you know, guest all, uh, you know, model, right. Which is to kind of share examples <laughs> and experiences and they kind of, you know, cause everybody's uh, experience will be different. So. Yeah. But, uh, I
1: just would feel terrible if I said 15% and then someone comes to me a year and a half and like, I spent 15 and it wasn't enough or it was, too, it was a waste of time. Like, Oh, <laughs>
0: So do you have an example of uh, that you're really proud of, uh, of of a deal that went really well um, that maybe you could share?
1: Yeah, there's a company um, that I have developed a relationship with was introduced to me by another colleague. um, And it's a a home care business and uh, it's uh, software enabled called Honor. And they're based in San Francisco and they've just disrupted and revolutionized the way that home care is delivered in, in the United States. And I feel, um, I think it, it is a company where the, uh, because, of the, because of the software disruption, because of this company and um, um, the employees that deliver home care uh,
0: mm-hmm. have a better
1: experience best in class experience and then the the people who need care in their homes have a better experience and so it's it's like the perfect example of alignment how do you here's a situation where you know home care how the way home care is delivered is sort of by zip code it's by these small Um, organizations that are sort of growth constricted because they rely on labor to match people and they rely on labor within a certain zip code to get people out to, to, to customers' homes. And if we can leverage technology to actually allow these organizations to grow and to serve more people and actually allow the, uh, folks doing the work to have better assignments, have more clarity, get paid better, sooner, that <laughs> makes the world a better place. You know, we have every, I, I my mother is a four-time cancer survivor. Uh, she lives in a whole different state than me. You know, um, at some point I will be arranged. I, you know, I've gone home many times at some point being able to, with my phone, get clarity on what's going on in her home.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's amazing. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I, I we, we've, we invested a year and a half ago. So it's, it, that's been a, a good, a good story.
0: Yeah. That's, that's very interesting that, you know, you would think that home health care is you know you can't get around you know, having people actually, you know, been involved and given the fact that we're having a lot, at least according to um, small business owner surveys that labor shortages and qualified employee hiring has been a, a big issue lately. Um, disrupting it with technology seems to uh, really kind of uh, solve the issue.
1: There are all kinds of um, really interesting companies that are doing similar work. Um, you know, there's home care, there's home health care, then there's, you know, this nursing shortage for facilities and doctor's offices and hospitals and whatnot. So there's the whole industry. There's a primary care doctor shortage mm-hmm. looping. Um, So there are, there are a lot of really, there's a lot. It's going to be an interesting space, interesting and somewhat noisy with solutions. And so, um, but, but des- and, but the whole industry is in is in need of solutions that allow care to be delivered cheaper and more effectively uh, by fewer people um and allows the people delivering that care to have more flexibility and better options. so there's there's a lot there's a lot that's gonna come up. That's my unasked for prediction.
0: <laughs> well, no, that's that's actually, you know, it's always good to be able to look in the future. So that's, I'm glad that you brought it up. Um, so how much does culture uh, play, you know, come into play when you're looking at uh, companies to invest in? And have you had a situation where a business owner was you know, reluctant for a number of years, um, you know, for an outside investor to come in and you know, they got to a point where they realized, they couldn't be in their business forever, and therefore they had to kind of yield. So kind of yeah, a that's yeah,
1: yeah. So I um, have I had a situation. You mean at, in my role now? Um, no, we you know we get access to some of the most interesting, best run companies. <laughs> so sort of reluctant. It's funny. My partner is a is a consultant. Um, so he deals with companies where uh, <laughs> there mm-hmm. are sometimes leadership issues in that way. Um, we, you know, that's not been, that's not been an issue in, in any of the companies, but, but I'll, so let's, let's start with the first question. So culture is, um, is interest is, is important. It's one of the, the sort of 10 sort of questions that we have to answer before okay. we can decide. Um, and, I find that um, as companies grow and scale, the the people in charge of them have to have to grow, and you know, mm-hmm. early stage CEO job is not the same. If you're running a company that you just founded with your co founder and you've got 10 employees, that is a very, and you just started it a year ago, that is a very different animal than you've got 2000 employees. Your revenues are, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars a year and you're about to go IPO. That is a completely different skill set. And right. I marvel at the people who can go. From plucky upstart, I got seed series A funding on up to um, on up to I'm now a public company CEO. Uh, This is like night and day; (laughs) it's two different people, and the not just the CEO, the C-suite, the CS public company CFO is not the same as an early stage company CFO. And so I, I I think that you know we acknowledge that. And you know, everyone is learning. They're learning how to run a company. They're learning how to manage employees while also doing the thing that they are setting out to do in a rapidly changing, fast growth environment. So, yeah, how folks work together, how whether folks have the whether we believe folks have the capacity to grow in that way. And you know, I I'll say from my own uh, perspective, founding a company is is awesome. And I mean that not in the like raw, raw, awesome. I mean, just awesome in that you have all these jobs to do. You're doing every job and you realize really quickly, oh, I'm bad at like three of (laughs) these of these five jobs I'm doing. How quickly can I hire people to be good at those who are good at those things to do them so that I can focus on these things that I'm good at and or can I grow into actually being competent at some of these things? And I think for leaders, and this is, again, it's like not a direct answer to your question. That's the challenge of leadership. Mm-hmm. What do I need to grow into and what do I need to outsource? Um, so in, in, in a rapidly changing environment, um, that contributes to culture. So how, how do you, how does, how do leaders think about the culture of their organization? Is this a toxic place? Because the last thing you want to do is invest in a company and then read about them. Right, <laughs> in the,
0: right. the
1: paper or read about some, you know, lawsuit or CFO exit or, you know, all of that is not ideal. Um, so, and that's, also a reason why you want to build strong relationships between investors because you want to be able to pick up the phone and say hey what's going on or have them pick up the phone and say hey this is what's going on (laughs) um so that's the quick and dirty not so quick and dirty short answer to your first question um The second question is, yeah, I mean, you invest in companies or you deal with uh, CEOs where there's strife and where things have not gone necessarily according to plan culturally. And everybody's got to navigate their way through that. But, I mean, CEOs are people too. And people make mistakes and they have you know, strengths and weaknesses and preferences and styles. And so then you put together a thousand folks, there's bound to be some conflict.
0: Yeah. Now is is your process um, more like Shark Tank or is it like a different kind of process?
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's deep, deep research. It's deeply, deeply research focused.
0: No, I, I was just yeah, go ahead. I was just I'm always thinking of the timeline because as you as you delineating the steps in the process, I'm thinking of how long the uh, ballpark, how long that whole thing you know could take, of course.
1: Well, it it you know, it sort of depends on the timeline. Companies, timelines are getting shorter and shorter. Um, and so it depends on the timeline that they're on. Um we're not known, you know, we're known for being long-term investors. We're not known for, you know, 20, 20 minute phone call. And then here's a term sheet. That's not how we invest, but there are folks who do that. So, and, and, you know, results are there's, I've told people there's a myriad ways to make money in this business. So, um, so our process is, is, is we're not known for being, Super quick. We're known for being good partners, and that's what we build our reputation on.
0: What What is the um, in terms of the, the optimism pessimism scale? And you know, how how do you see the the environment, given the fact that the Fed is talking about interest, interest rate uh, increases of you know, maybe three or four times this year? Uh, how do you see that in, you know impacting the market and just the overall industry?
1: So um, the fun part. About being a very long term investor is that over, you know, it's there's gonna use over if you're in a company over a 15 year period, what's gonna happen over the next three quarters with the Fed is not, it's definitely of interest, but it's not gonna make or break anything. And I—that's what I actually appreciate about uh, the specific place that I am at right now—is that um, we map things out over, you know, a decade or more. So, yes, I—we're it, it allows you to constantly be an optimist.
0: <laughs> right. So, what are some of the maybe the last question? Maybe. Um, what are some of the long-term indicators that you tend to look at? Because I mean, yeah, short-term you know bubbles and fluctuations are not too much you know of too much concern. But what about long-term? What are some of the uh, factors, whether macroeconomic or political, that you tend to look at? I, you
1: know, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. Um, I think, um, and my colleagues, we would all think have different ones. I mean, okay. I, I look at, you know, climate change, okay. Okay. Um, population change, popu- graying population is obviously a macroeconomic or not a, a larger societal indicator right. that plays into uh, the decision to invest in home care, Right yeah um Mm -hmm. just larger trends right right software is eating the world acts you know we able to do some thematic research on the future of food Mm -hmm. which is also climate relation related also population related consumer habits and how they might evolve in regions that are developing in countries that are moving from you know low to middle income Mm -hmm. um So it's less, you know, it's as a global investor, it's less, you know, it's less based on just short term U.S. monetary policy inflation and what's going to happen with the presidential election, you know, like that. And I live in America, so I realize that we're but then I talk to all my colleagues and they're like, you know, (laughs) what's going to happen in your crazy countries? (laughs) (laughs) We're going to invest in great companies no matter what. And I appreciate that perspective.
0: Yeah, so as as long as the fundamentals of the company are good, you know, and uh, and they fit within um, these other, you know, big giant macro factors. I mean, and I'm glad that you brought those things up like society and structure because it, it reminds me of um, Peter Drucker's uh, theory of the business, where sometimes the assumptions could change, but the business model is stuck, and that's what gets you know some of these uh, business uh, blue chips into trouble. So. And whether it's climate change. I think there are a lot or, yeah.
1: of. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, I'll just say whether it's climate change or some of these other, like, you know, food, uh, you know, food, you know, displacement you know, factors, right? And what that means, you know, for a business model. And I guess maybe that's probably where, uh, for a business owner, that's the benefit that they get from working with you, right? Because you bring that perspective and say, hey, right, The for these you know, future trends that we see in the next 10 to 15 years, um, you yeah. know, what does that mean in terms of your culture your business model and, and things of that sort yeah. yeah
1: yeah i mean i i would say that's true for a lot of invest that's the benefit for of working with a lot of investors is that you're a, you're a, you get to be a futurist right i think for us the the best part of the job is that we get to work with companies that are disruptive so they already know they they know this which is why they've decided to build a vertical farm right okay Um, So that's, it's a different, it's, I'm just, I just flipped it. But Mm -hmm. like I said, if you are a traditional business owner, working with an investor could be helpful because they, that's their job as well to look into the future. But it is incumbent on all leadership to sort of prepare your, that's what leadership is. Preparing your flock, your company, your country, no matter what you're leading for the future
0: right now you mentioned vertical farm maybe you can explain a little bit because not everybody may be familiar with that term in terms of you know growing by way of you know, like adding different um, like for instance if you're a software company you acquire like you know the um the hardware and all, all those you know, different things so if you're in a car dealership or you know, thing you acquire the, the supplies and all those different things so um is that, is that the, are you looking for just a vertical scale? Are you looking for horizontal scaling as well? Or no, how does that, how does that uh,
1: When I was talking about the future of food and vertical farming, I mean, um, you know, there's traditional agriculture that happens outside and is, you um, you know uh uh dependent on the weather and the soil and whatnot and a vertical farm would be something that happens inside in a factory where greens are grown okay um there's lots of different and then there's technology that allows for uh a more consistent product whether it's spinach or arugula or, or basil consistent product in a shorter growing season um so I was I was literally talking about amber <laughs>
0: okay all right all right that's good never mind I, I misunderstood uh, yeah
1: so so when I was what I was saying you know the 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 founder that starts a vertical farm is mm-hmm. the founder that under already understands the future of agriculture right.
0: all right okay right. gotcha so that was a specific example and not a
1: yeah, general kind of trend okay
0: no no that's not that's cool that's that was my mistake so that's great well um I wanted to bring this to a close that by getting your overall summary of just um, the 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 growth investor investor and how businesses um, you know, make themselves more attractive, um, and to your point of view and just just you know what you see um, you know what are some of the whatever advice or words of wisdom you have for business owners who may be listening and, you know, maybe candidates uh, for, you know, a conversation with you.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that it's like I said, these are relationships and um, so the more people and different kinds of investors you can meet, um, the more you can have a sense of where you fit in that ecosystem. And I think having a good, you know, just like, I, like I said, sort of like with dating, you have a general list of what you like and the kind of person you're going to get along with. Right. I think as a business owner, you would have a general sense of the kind of investor that you're looking to bring on, board and to develop a a good working relationship with Um, and it really depends on what your goals are for your business so having that clarity and then going out uh, in a way that's not pressured by specific and time limited needs for capital I think is the best way to go about learning about this about the industry
0: yeah and how it can
1: be beneficial to you
0: yeah, so understand who you are, what you want, why you want it, and do it in an environment that is um, less urgent, uh, so you you know you can make better decisions and and be ready for conversations with a growth investor. That's great. Well, thank you very much. How can people like people need to get in contact with you? What's the best way to you know follow your work or get in contact with you?
1: Well, I'm I'm on LinkedIn, um, okay. so yeah that way. Yeah, we'll have
0: that we'll have that information uh in the show notes so either you know in case people want to you know get in contact with you on linkedin suddenly uh, they can do that okay fantastic well thank you very much um and i appreciate uh, your time annika and uh i'll talk to you soon
1: yeah thanks so much for having me it was a pleasure chatting with you